I feel like nowadays people are overwhelmed with the list of things they feel that they have to do every day to be brain healthy. And I like to simplify things. So if all you do is just track your steps and get your steps in and that's just walking, that is completely fine. But just the mere fact of people walking at least 40 minutes to an hour, it increased hippocampal volume by one to 2% versus the people that did not. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, I hope you guys are doing great. I am so excited about today's episode. I've been really wanting to dive more into the health and wellness space because I think anyone who's in their 30s right now is probably like, oh shit, my health matters. Oh yeah, gotta take care of this flesh suit that we're in. So we are just deep in this era of biohacking our health and optimizing our brains. And I was so thrilled to talk to today's guest, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, about how to improve our brain health right now in the moment and in the long term to prevent brain aging and cognitive decline and all of the things that we might be seeing older parents and grandparents going through that are really scary and also things that we can get ahead of. And if you're not even thinking about old age right now, just brain clarity and feeling energetic and feeling like you're operating in an optimal state. We got into the nitty gritty details in this in-depth interview, so we are breaking it into two digestible parts. So make sure you tune in next Wednesday for the second part of this conversation. It is well worth the wait. We dive into so much tangible information. And honestly, the more that I learned from Dr. Kristen in this episode, the more I realized honestly how little I am doing right now to manage my brain health. I mean, I do take supplements and I have been paying more attention to blood sugar over the past year or two um, to help manage my PCOS. But in general, I just had no idea the extent of the impact that our diet and weight can have on our brain's ability to function optimally. And I mean, I sleep like shit. Sleep is always the last thing on my radar. I am basically inactive all day, like most people who work from home or work office desk jobs. I get no steps in. And then I go and do one really hardcore high intensity workout, like a spin class, and then I go back to sitting. And I definitely drink more than I probably should. So there is a lot that I could be working on, but Dr. Kristen really breaks it all down into the basics and she makes it really easy to see how these little simple changes that we can make now can affect us positively for the rest of our lives. So it's not this like daunting laundry list. It's just small, easy things that we can do. And right now we are at the perfect age to start doing all of this. You know, we talk a lot about my grandma in this episode because she is honestly my inspiration. She was so active. She did her 10,000 steps a day right until the very end with her little step counter on her running shoes. We talk about it throughout the episode, but she lived till almost 100, like just shy of 100. And all of these practices and rituals and things that she did unknowingly just kept her so sharp and healthy physically and mentally right to the end, which is such a a gift to have that kind of health span and lifespan. She had a prayer book that she would read. It was like honestly a hundred pages by the end. And she would write 
a page for every single person that she was praying for. So she had this like really strong sense of community, but also her mind was so sharp right to the end because I think that that book of prayers that she wrote for every person that she knew became kind of like a diary that she would memorize and quiz herself on. And it became this like time capsule of different parts of her life, different relationships she had with people, different people that she'd met and known and connected with, you know, throughout the decades. So in that sense, I think she inadvertently had this like incredible hack for keeping her brain so sharp and so with it, right? through till her 99th year and it was engaging daily in something that got her thinking and remembering and reminiscing and thinking about other people it is so powerful to see what an amazing life she lived through all of these practices that all of us can do super easily and honestly if my grandma can do you know 10,000 steps around the house at 99 I don't know why the fuck I can't so (laughs) but I'm so excited to hear what you learned from today's episode because there's so many takeaways But we are not the experts, so we called in Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, who has so many impressive letters after her name, I don't even know where to begin, but among them, she has her PhD and master's in neurobiology, her master's in physiological science, she is an award-winning neuroscientist with expertise in neuroimaging, she was a postdoctoral scientist in the Department of Neurology at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in LA, where she focused on the genetic analysis of neurological disorders. She is a recipient of a National Research Service Award Fellowship from the National Institutes of Health. She has led research on the impact of head trauma in sports on brain function with the NFL. She's published research on PTSD, autism, psychiatric treatments, and so much more. So yeah, she really knows her shit. And she also cares so deeply about helping people live their healthiest lives. She is so kind and lovely and impressive and amazing to talk to. Teach us how to improve our brain health, Kristen. Kristen, we are so, so excited to talk to you today. We have been following you for a while and we have just learned so much through all of the incredible information that you put out there. You are helping everyone have a better relationship with their brains, improve their brain health. This is such, such important work that you're doing. So we are thrilled to have you on today. Well, Jillian, it is truly my honor to be here with you guys today. And I'm so happy to hear that you've been following me and learning more about how to take care of your brain. It's something that I feel when we're young, we just think, oh, we'll worry about that when we're older. I will tell you, so you know my book, Biohack Your Brain, Yes. Um, how to boost cognitive health, performance, and power. The name that I originally wanted for the book was everything I wish I knew in my 20s. Like I was talking to the publisher. I said, there's a reason why I wrote this book. I want people um, to start taking care of their brain health early and to learn how to maintain it and care for it early. I mean, as you and I discussed, you know, before we started taping, I'm in my 50s now. And with the wisdom and experience I have from working in the clinical setting and seeing tens of thousands of brain images, the things that I've learned, I really would like somebody to give me the guidebook. What can I be doing when I'm in my 20s, 30s, and 40s to take care of my brain health so I have better, sort of a longer health span and lifespan? And nobody teaches us these things in school. Nobody thinks, how do I have the most beautiful brain possible? How do I have the most efficient brain possible so I can make 
great decisions in my life, great financial decisions, right? Yeah. Great decisions in my relationships. How am I sharper when I go to work so I can get that promotion? Mm. So, you know, it's like, how can we make brain health as sexy as taking care of our physical health? Yeah, it's so important. And it's so important for like things that seem intangible, like our happiness, you know? And I mean, yeah. I, for most of my life, have thought of happiness as this emotional thing that's like, rooted in the heart but so much of your happiness is is from the health of your brain so it has like the longevity effect but also it affects us right now well they're both interconnected yeah. so i think you bring up a great point it is rooted in our heart and you know there's getting into heart coherence so mm. a lot of the technologies that we have available to measure our heart rate variability and breath work and meditation and yoga help to get us in our body and connect us with our heart but our heart is connected to our brain mm. and so I think the new thing is our heart coherence and brain coherence and getting them to communicate in sort of a connected synergistic way mm -hmm. because we can have physiologically our body can be working well but in, in even we can get our sort of heart rate down and our blood pressure down that will help our brain but I think the brain is also sort of this separate entity that might need to be dealt with especially having worked in a psychiatric setting where people come in with anxiety, depression, ADHD, bipolar issues that they have potentially inherited in their ancestral lineage. So how do we help people to not, again, just take care of their body and their heart for their happiness, but what is the contribution of the mind yeah. and the brain and how, how can we help people who may have inherited some of these predispositions for challenges in the mind right. um, that can interfere with the happiness that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's all connected. It's it's so important. And starting from kind of the beginning of, of what might be affecting our brain health, what is, do you think, the single biggest modern day contributor to cognitive damage that we're seeing amongst everyday people? That, it's funny, that's such a great question. You know, when, you're trained in neurology and neuroscience and you're thinking about how do we help people maintain their cognitive health for a lifetime. They have what we call, you know, risk factors for dementia. And some of these risk factors, and I think this is going to really get to the heart of the question you're asking, the risk factors are midlife obesity. Mm -hmm. So we need to keep ourselves at a healthy weight for our height. And that's called body mass index. We mm -hmm. want to get our body mass index in what we would call a normal range, which is actually very lean. You know, I've helped a lot of people lose weight for their cognitive health, but to yeah. get somebody to the very healthy weight, according to body mass index, that's actually a very lean um, frame. Right. So we want to address midlife obesity. We want to address midlife diabetes. Mm -hmm. So again, you'll hear a lot of people on social media talking about sugar and having to reduce sugar. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like a whole nother conversation because sugar, right, is pretty much in everything that we eat. Yeah. And the American Heart Association essentially recommends that women get 25 grams of sugar today on a daily basis and men get 35 grams of sugar per day. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what they want you to strive for. Mm -hmm. But the American, sort of the typical American is consuming between 90 to 100 grams of sugar per day. Yeah. 
So this is where we can look at dietary factors and lifestyle factors. How do we reduce the unhealthy sugars, but but sort of keep the healthy ones because your brain runs on glucose. So that's sort of number two. Number three, hypertension. Mm. You know, managing what we would call midlife hypertension, which would be managing our stress levels, knowing what your blood pressure is, learning how to reduce stress in your life. So those are sort of the big three. And then you get into treating psychiatric disorders. Right. So some untreated psychiatric disorders like depression are correlated with increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. Uh. So we want to help people to treat and manage psychiatric issues. Other things like treating sleep apnea as people age, and we see this in more often in men than women. Um, Sleep apnea is when you stop breathing in the middle of the night hundreds of times. So you're getting low oxygen. My dad has that. He's got the CPAP machine. Oh, your dad has that. Yeah. And it was having horrible effects on him before it was, you know, kind of diagnosed and he started treating it. I'm delighted to hear that you bring this up because more people have it than they realize. Yeah. You know, having worked in the field of brain imaging, and as you know, for I think you've read the book, but we worked with this group of professional NFL players, yeah. and many of them just have a larger body mass. They might be fit and lean, but they have sort of greater mass on their body, especially yeah. linemen, offensive linemen. And what was interesting is when we were scanning their brains, there's a certain pattern that we would see in football players with brain damage, but there's also a pattern you sleep you see with sleep apnea, hmm. where you get lower perfusion in the brain or lower blood flow, but we tended to see it in the back part of the brain, back here, the parietal lobes, which um, is the area of the brain that we see that can be damaged in Alzheimer's disease. So when we see this in neuroimaging, we say, okay, low perfusion to that area of the brain, what can we do to increase blood flow? Because more blood flow means more oxygen to that area. And so the CPAP, that's the whole point of the CPAP. It keeps the airway open. You can sort of maintain blood flow and oxygen levels to the brain. So we saw 30% of our professional athletes that were coming in for the very first study we did in 100 players had this untreated sleep apnea you know, untreated sleep apnea doubles your risk for Alzheimer's. Wow. So, you know, I mentioned some of these things, right? Obesity, diabetes, you know, managing hypertension, mm-hmm. you know, treating sleep apnea, treating psychiatric issues, traumatic brain injuries, any kind of yeah. injury to the brain can, you know, put you at risk for mild cognitive impairment or dementia. That's why we like people to treat them. But uh, sort of surrounding all of those, is perfusion to the brain. And so when you ask me the initial question, sort of what is the most important thing that you can do to help support cognitive function as you age, maintain healthy blood flow to the brain. Mm. And what is one of the simplest ways to do that? Exercise daily. Yeah. Yeah. Exercise helps to keep blood vessels open, right? You release nitric oxide, so it keeps them open. So you get this nice, healthy blood flow to the brain. Mm -hmm. This is why physical fitness of any kind is so imperative to your long-term brain health. And if if you get on a fitness regimen daily, as you age, right? So as you hit the age of 40, you begin to lose 5% of brain volume per decade. Wow. So the one thing that can help maintain that is physical activity daily. Wow. 
And it's is amazing. there any, you know, because I've been watching some shows and, you know, kind of researching longevity, which is a hot topic right now. And, and which I'm happy about. Yes, 100%. <laughs> and not just living longer, but living longer, you know, healthily, health which is so health important. Span. Ex- health span, exactly. We've created this culture where we sit all day, and I'm the most guilty of this. We sit all day and then we do an hour of like hardcore spin, which is what yeah. I do. But now we're seeing so much the, the benefits of moving throughout the day and how it can actually not be as, as beneficial to do like one hardcore hour and then be sedentary the rest of the day. But in your research, what have you seen, you know, for people who really do have desk jobs and can't move around much, you know, what, what's the balance here? Is it just, you know, get that hour in and that's great? Or is it like try to every hour do 10 minutes of walking or what, what are you seeing? I love that you brought this question up because there's multiple solutions that you can do for this. So for some people, they need to be at a desk job. And I will tell you, I did this with my accountant after he read the book and was very interested in making sure he was able to move each day. He got, I believe it's called the QB. He got a little thing that he could put under his desk. That's like a little exercise cycle. So as he was working, he could cycle and sit at his desk. So it was like keeping, and he loves this. Okay. So that was for the accountant. That's so smart because the walking desks, sometimes I just like, don't think I have the coordination to like. A standing desk is not for everyone. Well, even a a standing desk, desk. a treadmill desk. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to be productive, but the, the cycling, that's a great idea. You could sit at your desk. Yeah. Because we've used them with people who are older, who tend to sit. So you could have the QB under your desk. You can you know, stand, you can get up every hour. So of course I worked in a clinic and brain health was everything that we did. So people would get up every hour and just take a walk around the building. You know, I also think it's great to get up and move because it helps sort of break the day up and you might be able to get more creative ideas or just get you out of your workspace for a minute. Um, But I realize not everybody can do that. So if you need to just get your workout done in the morning, Mm -hmm. you know, which is what I highly recommend because most people towards the end of the day might peter out or not want to do it mm-hmm. after a long day of work. I was a big fan of um, tracking your steps. And yeah. I say was when I was teaching my weight loss groups and I've worked with people who are from 18 years old to 90. And I would have these older individuals, they would just track their steps using their phone and just getting the appropriate number of steps. So we say yeah. 10,000 steps per day. And I find that to be a really smart strategy. So however you can fit that in, even if you can't necessarily um, go to the gym or lift weights. My grandma lived to 99, just shy of 100. And she lived an incredible health span. Like this woman was the picture of vitality. She was just the greatest person in the world. And she had a little step counter on her on her new balance running shoes and she would just walk around the house all day even on days where she did not leave the house she hit ten thousand steps a day it was incredible and i'm like sitting here just trying to hit four thousand like are you kidding me no and and she she was so committed to the things that made her feel good she drank her water and she was just incredible people would meet her and they would not believe her age and so that that has shown me truly that this isn't just research. This is a person who exemplifies, you know, all of the things that we're talking about. Well, that's something that I think we could learn from our elders. So my grandparents, yeah, this is on my dad's side, lived to 92 and 95. And then my great 
grandfather lived to 103. Wow. And now my parents both passed in their 70s, and it's so interesting to watch the changes. Like, how was it my great grandfather lived to 103? Yeah. Then his, you know, the next generation is the 90s. Then the subsequent generation, like my family, you know, passing away in their 70s. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think the simple things like maintaining, like, I feel like nowadays people are overwhelmed with the list of things they feel that they have to do every day to be brain healthy. And I like to simplify things. So if all you do is just track your steps and get your steps in, and that's just walking, that is completely fine. And I will share with you, this is one of my favorite research papers that has come out. I would say it's within the last five to 10 years. So as we age, there's a region of the brain called the hippocampus, Mm -hmm. um, which is the area of the brain essential to learning and memory. It's sort of deep in the brain. There's two of them, the hippocampi. And we track that over time, especially as people get older. And if we suspect that somebody might have mild cognitive impairment leading to dementia, um, you can have an MRI done and look at what we call hippocampal volume. And if we see that is shrinking as you get older, especially if you have signs of dementia, um, that can help, you know, uh, alert us to a dementia diagnosis. So a study was done in older age adults um, over the course of a year, tracking people who just did 40 minutes of walking, like activity. So mm-hmm. you got to, you know, you get the heart rate up versus people that just did stretching and toning. So as we age, the hippocampus does shrink over time. Again, your whole brain volume shrinks over time. This is just normal aging. Um, This is why sort of staying on top of your cognitive health is so important because we can actually slow that down. Um, But just the mere fact of people walking at least 40 minutes to an hour, it increased hippocampal volume by one to 2% versus the people that did not as they were getting older. And I want to say, I'd have to look back at the study. I think they were 55 years of age and older. Those who just did stretching and toning and no real focus on getting daily walking, sort of Mm -hmm. your aerobic activity and had a 1.4% decrease in hippocampal volume. And because that volume is already decreasing over time as we age, what the paper showed very beautifully was that just the walking and getting your heart rate up at least 40 minutes a day was enough to what I would say maintain that hippocampal volume, if not help grow it. That feels so doable. It's very doable. But your grandma is the epitome of what that experiment has shown. And in my field, because we have all of these amazing ways we can look at what is going on in your brain, right? What is shrinking, right? What is changing? Are there white matter hyperintensities? Are we seeing low blood flow to your brain? Yeah. Are we seeing changes in electrical activity that you know are causing you issues? We can now see that and make corrections. And that's sort of this whole era of what we're calling biohacking or right. how are we able to now change our physiology, not just the physiology of our body, but our brain. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm sort of circling back your grandma already knew what to do. She had a contemplative practice. She had a daily prayer practice that was meaningful to her and gave her a sense of purpose. She moved every day, at least 10,000 steps. So she kept 
her whole body sort of oxygenated. And even this simple act of moving keeps our insulin resistance down. So I'm sure, you know, as we were sort of circling back to the sugar issue, Mm -hmm. insulin resistance is what helps, you know, create diabetes. And Mm -hmm. one of the easiest ways to help kind of keep your blood sugar balanced and maintain what we call insulin sensitivity is movement. Yeah. Movement and, yeah. and even some resistance training and a little bit of, you know, if we can get that in because when you're working the muscles, they can utilize a lot of glucose and they actually help to keep your insulin resistance down. all so connected. I think we all know these things intuitively. I've just had the, I've had the benefit of being able to see it in people's brains. So I've had the objective evidence. So, and that is the piece that a lot of people never get to see. So that's why I like being the cheerleader for people's brain. Yeah. And having access to this information makes all the difference because I think, you know, it's easy to see a lot of the population feeling defensive when people are talking about body weight and you know kind of feeling like well where's the evidence well the size of my body doesn't determine my health and and so when we actually have evidence of what is happening with you know our glucose spikes and blood sugar levels and insulin and how that affects our hormones and how that's linked to cognitive degeneration like this does matter and there's there's evidence behind this and then it doesn't feel like you know an arbitrary passing of judgment it feels like i was just gonna say a judgment yeah this is yeah it's so interesting i'm so conscientious and aware that we are all we come from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. different genetic backgrounds lifestyle environment and the wiring of your brain i think this is really important for people who struggle with weight because two-thirds of americans at least here are overweight or obese yeah and so it's a really sensitive topic when I first started doing my work in the brain imaging clinic and we were working with these pro athletes that had too much weight on their body Mm. uh, for optimal brain health and we were we knew we needed to do something to help them you know my mentor Dr. Amen at the time said you're going to run a brain directed weight loss group because they really need the support it is one of the best ways we can help support their brain health so what we did was I just sort of retrained the way they thought about food and their food choices, number one. Number two, we tailored weight loss based on the way their brains were wired. And nobody really talks about that. So sometimes people are overweight because they have issues with ADD or Mm -hmm. OCD or a combination of ADD and OCD, which can make an impulsive and a compulsive eater, or they're, wow. they have issues with anxiety, so they eat to calm it, calm yeah. their brain yeah. down. So there's this interesting layer that I think people don't not think about and don't honor that we need to help people address those issues. And it's amazing how that then helps them lose weight. Yeah. So losing weight isn't about willpower. It sometimes is about how do we treat maybe those issues in the brain that are causing you to either make an unhealthy choice. Um, And then there's so many really fascinating strategies that I don't think people realize that can help them lose weight very easily. You know, some of the things I always started with were, um, don't, we always say, don't drink your calories. Mm -hmm. So first thing, just start with water. Yeah. 
no more, don't do the coffees, don't do vitamin waters, don't do sodas. And you, you'll probably drop 10 to 20 pounds in a year. Wow. wow. Doing nothing else. Yeah. Shifting the times that you eat, right? Have your last meal by seven. Yeah. Just don't eat three hours before bedtime. Is there anything about intermittent fasting in the research that you have found beneficial or, or what's your So intermittent on? fasting is, it's actually a very smart way to stay healthy. I mean, there's a lot of research that shows, you know, it helps your body to remove dead cells. It's called autophagy. Mm -hmm. um, it helps with insulin sensitivity, mm -hmm. right? So we were talking about having insulin resistance, yeah. you know, leads to diabetes and, you know, that's not good for your brain health. So it helps correct those imbalances. So it can balance your blood sugar, you know, help remove cells, right? That need to be cells. It helps improve mitochondrial functioning and ATP production. So for so many reasons, it helps protect the links of your telomeres. So as we age, the telomeres are at the end of your chromosomes and they start to shrink naturally. So the intermittent fasting can have a neuroprotective effect on your telomeres. Mm. So yes, the research does show that that can help support your long-term brain health and the smartest strategy to do for people to me with intermittent fasting it's like 12 hours on 12 hours off yeah. right like a like a very healthy cycle i think almost everybody could do that without yeah. question right 12 hour window during the day when you can eat mm -hmm. and so and at night say from seven in the evening to seven in the morning right that's the yeah. time for your body to rest for your you know, your body to help process the foods that it's eaten. So that's for rest and rehabilitation of the body. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. what else should we be considering in terms of supplements, food choices to support our brain health? I know blood sugar management is is a high on, on my list of things to do. I have a PCOS um, and at the root of that, I think it's insulin resistance. So this is something I only know so much about this because I've like become obsessed with it because doctors were just like oh worry about it when you want to have a kid and then through oh. naturopathic you know research and all of that I've realized this is a like a blood sugar problem and I, I need to this is something to worry about because it could turn into something else like diabetes and and it it does matter and so this is top of mind for me but someone who isn't going through this might have no idea how glucose and blood sugar affect their health and what food choices they could be making to help kind of curb that. Right. That's that's a beautifully stated and that's a, this is why I like people to have their labs done annually. Yeah. Get your glucose levels checked. You can go in every 3 months, right? Let's get your hemoglobin A1c to an appropriate level so that assesses how much sugar is coursing through your bloodstream. Yeah. Um and that is really even more important to me as long as we keep that low that I know we're not going to be doing damage to your blood vessels, right? And you just want to make sure your your body is functioning like as efficiently as is possible. But when talking about brain health and what are the things that people can do through their food choices, mm -hmm. one of the number one things that I've taught people and I think is really healthy if you're looking for sort of a dietary approach to support your long-term cognitive health, the Mediterranean diet, or now what we call the, the MIND diet, which is Mediterranean diet, plus the DASH diet, which also includes addressing hypertension. 
Oh, what's DASH? It's called the Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. Oh, okay. So it essentially makes sure that you know, you're know you not consuming more than, I believe it's 1,500 milligrams of sodium per day. So it's it's sort of combining the Mediterranean diet with a low sodium diet, which will help with hypertension. So the, the Mediterranean diet alone, uh, before it became Mediterranean mind, had already been shown to reduce the incidence of cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. by at least 30%. And we know the MIND diet can reduce both cardiovascular and neurological disease. So if you're, you know, if you're going to ask somebody like me, who's worked in the field of psychiatry and is a neuroscientist and work with people with cognitive um, issues and degenerative diseases, I'm always going to steer people towards more of a Mediterranean mind diet philosophy. Yeah. And that philosophy is around having two to three servings of fruit per day, you know, mm -hmm. try to get berries in every day because berries are high in antioxidants yeah. and have been shown to slow cognitive decline, right? In these longitudinal prospective dietary studies that have been done over 10 to 17 years, just, you know, tracking what people ate, it was the sort of consistent consumption of blueberries and strawberries. Mm that supported uh, their cognitive health. So again, you know, think about getting the fresh fruits, getting five servings of vegetables per day, green leafy vegetables and getting some orange, you know, something with a carotenoid, whether it's a sweet potato or carrots. That one is a little more difficult for me when, you know, I always practice what I preach. Yeah. Um, and when I was like, okay, I need to do the Mediterranean diet, I had to make sure I had carrots with hummus. And still mm -hmm. to this day, I'm not the best at getting orange vegetables into my daily routine. It is also about trying to get lentils or some kind of beans, right? Even a small serving of that. You get healthy protein, so you can have fish or lean meat. And it stresses reducing dairy and breads. So whenever I would sort of work with people on the Mediterranean diet, it was fascinating. People were only allowed one serving of dairy. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to have dairy, and I would always tell people, you know, can we make the shift to an oat milk or a goat milk or an almond milk or something yeah. that isn't like the full fat dairy? Because dairy is essentially sugar and fat. Mm -hmm. So I want to help, you know, bring that down and grains you were allowed to have a serving of grain per day but that was one serving so is that going to be an oatmeal is that going to be an ezekiel bread instead of i think people are conditioned they might have a grain at every meal yeah. right? they might have a bagel in the morning they might have a sa uh, salad and a sandwich at lunch and they might have a rice at dinner so yeah. i I was able to sort of retrain very slowly and mindfully and very easily how to make some of these small shifts and people would lose extraordinary amounts of weight very easily without right. trying. So I just wanted to offer that. I mean, we yeah. now live in this world of choices, keto diets and paleo diets and veganism and pescatarian diets. Um, but the research shows the Mediterranean diet is really going to help preserve your long-term cognitive and cardiovascular health. That's really helpful. And then in terms of supplementation, um, you know, there's yeah. so many supplements out there. And I am certainly a person who's always like, oh, like if I just take supplements, I'll, I'll be healthy. So what should we actually be you know, paying attention to in terms of supplements? 
Yeah, I love that. And you're still very young. So, you know, I always tell people anyone over the age of 40 should be taking a good uh, foundational multivitamin, mm -hmm. a high quality omega-3 fatty acid. So, mm -hmm. you know, the omega-3s are really going to help support the cell membranes of every neuron that is in your brain. So we have 86 billion neurons in our brain and they make trillions of connections. So we wanna have that sort of good fuel, those omega-3s, because they will help make those neurons, the cell membranes of the neurons, um, more stable and fluid. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you're talking to me, I'm a neurobiologist, so I really, what happens at the level of the single cell to me is very, essential. So when I yeah. think about having healthy omega-3 fatty acid levels, they're really helping your individual neurons function optimally. Mm -hmm. And the receptors that sit within those cell membranes, the receptors for serotonin and dopamine and norepinephrine will work more efficiently if the fats that are in the cell membrane are healthy fats. Right. So the omega-3 fatty acids are important. And I've taught people, there's a company called Omega Quant, which allows you to measure your omega-3 fatty acid levels with a little blood test. Oh, cool. So if you don't know, if you have healthy levels, you can always get them tested. So omega-3 fatty acids, and you can do a vegan source. So if you don't want to have fish sure and you're concerned that. about mercury, and I'm completely sensitive to that, there's vegan options available. Um, so I really recommend that people do that because um, we've seen in the clinical setting as you age, uh, you need to maintain omega-3 fatty acid status to be able to have healthy cognitive health. It's sort of one of the first things we do. If, if you're walking into a psychiatric clinic and we're treating a psychiatric or neurological issue, you will be on an omega-3 fatty acid. Oh, wow. I guarantee you at least one to two grams per day, wow. if not more, if you've had a traumatic brain injury. Mm. Um, and the third thing I recommend is get your vitamin D levels tested and supplement with the appropriate amount of vitamin D. Mm. Um, so again, low vitamin D is linked to depression uh, as well as Alzheimer's. And we also know it, again, it helps with your bones. Like there's a whole host and supports healthy immune function. We've learned this during COVID. Now everybody, yeah. you know, is monitoring their vitamin D status and supplementing accordingly. And again, if you're struggling with any sort of psychiatric or neurological order, I would start with those. But again, in the book, you know, I go into depth on other things we can do, right? The probiotics, the curcumin, spirulina. There's some, there's a lot of great sort of support nutrients for our brain that you can start doing now. And, uh, you know, if you've had brain issues, again, traumatic brain injuries, or you've had chronic Lyme, or you've had mold toxicity, and we need to help support your overall brain function. I have in the book, the area that was called the injured reserve mm -hmm. that has supplements like um, vinpocetine and ginkgo biloba, which helps bring more blood flow to the brain wow. or acetyl L-carnitine, which can help boost acetylcholine, which is the neurotransmitter for memory or huprazine A, which again is a, a, a supplement that can help boost acetylcholine, the neurotransmitter for memory. So and there's phosphatidylserine, which can help support cell membranes. So it's in the world of supplements, there's a lot that can be done. Um, but I try to be very mindful and efficient. I don't need everybody to take 
everything under the sun. Yeah. Um, which again is why I guess working in a brain imaging clinic, we just tailor protocols specific to people. But everybody, I feel, foundational multivitamin, um, even a brain directed foundational multivitamin would be optimal. The omega three fatty acids and vitamin D. Okay, that's such helpful information. Are you taking anything now? I should ask. I do. Yeah, I take uh, a daily multivitamin for women. And then I do this um, subscription supplement service called Care Of. And I've just found it's really helpful because you have daily packets that are compostable. And you you know, kind of fill out a quiz on what you have going on and what you're looking to improve. And so, yes. you know, I put in sleep. I put in, you know, that I probably drink every weekend, uh, put in that, you know, I want to work on my gut health. So then they put in, you know, B vitamins, for, uh, rodilia, rodilia, something, rodilia. A rodiola. Ro- yeah, for that. Your, for your stress. Like for mm-hmm. stress. Um, and then a pre and probiotic. Um, yeah. And then a, I do magnesium. Uh-huh. And then something for, it's like a chromium vinegar. X Yeah, for, oh. for kind of metabolism and for... Um, Chromium picolinate is amazing to balance blood sugar. Oh, amazing. One thing I have taught people if you have, so funny, I used to work in a lab over at UCLA, and my the laboratory space I was in was right next to the kitchen. So I could just swirl my chair and there would be all the food that yeah. was out. And <laughs> we have crispy cream donuts. They actually make them on campus. Oh my and God. there would always be coffee and donuts and not brain healthy foods. This was before I worked in a yeah, brain yeah, health yeah. clinic. So I just swivel my chair and I'd have a donut. And I'm the person where when my blood sugar spikes and drops, I get really tired. Yeah. Like I, my eyes would get heavy. So I learned very quickly. I'm like, well, this spikes my blood sugar and that makes me really sleepy. And then I'm super unproductive. But then you get, you know, then you kind of wake up again. This is in my 20s. Yeah. But I started taking chromium picolinate, so I would have the donut, and then I'd take the chromium picolinate, and it would balance my blood sugar, and I wouldn't get sleepy, and I was able to work. Now, I don't advise this is like the smart strategy and having yeah, yeah, yeah. sugar and maintain your – but for people who are struggling with their weight mm-hmm. and are at that place where I, you know, I can't stop eating the sugar or the bread – to use chromium picolinate throughout the day, like have it with every meal. Yeah. Seriously, it's a, yeah. it's an amazing strategy to help curb. Or, you know, if you know you overeat at night, take it with a meal. It will balance your blood sugar and you won't have the craving. Right. So it actually works to eliminate the cravings. Yeah, because it's such a and cycle of, of feeding the craving and then getting another craving. And then so that's Who doesn't amazing. love yeah. like a donut and want another one or oh a God, cupcake? Yeah. That is just being a human being. Yes. So the chromium picolinate, I would say, is a great um, body hack strategy, amazing. you know, to help you manage your weight loss. Be sure to listen in next Wednesday when we drop part two of the episode, which is truly a must listen. We cover in-depth details on the supplements that can help you with anxiety, tactical ways to improve your brain health by managing your stress, how to improve your memory, get rid of brain fog, and so much more. Make sure you check it out next week. We'll leave you with a quote from Thomas Edison. The chief function of the body is to carry the brain around. So let's take care of it. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.